The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, good morning. Can we say thank you to the band one more time? Well, good morning. Everyone doing well? Yeah. Happy summer. Heard you all had a little cookout this past week. Yeah. Is it fun? Well, it is uh, great to be here this morning. So before we jump in, um, a quick disclaimer. Um, This homily will require more audience participation. Are we cool with that? Yeah? You guys up for it? Got a good night's rest? So this morning I wanted to begin a conversation about art and what the artists might be trying to communicate through their art. So let's try this to get us started. So maybe share with a neighbor a piece of art you're currently enjoying. So it could be a song, it could be a movie, it could be a TV show, it could be a book, it could be a painting. And then share with them what you think the artist might be trying to communicate. All right? I'll give you a couple minutes. Go. All right. How many of us are enjoying a TV show? Show of hands. Movie? Book? Book movie? Painting? Okay. So I was thinking through this question. Um, and one of the artists that I like, he's a Chinese artist activist named Ai Weiwei. Some of you might know of him. And in the mid-90s, he did this installation where he took a Han Dynasty urn, probably 2,000 years old, made in 200 BC, worth millions of dollars. And he took this urn as a photographer was shooting it, and he let go, and the urn was destroyed, worth millions of dollars. So I'll give you a couple minutes. Turn to a neighbor and share what you think Ai Weiwei might have been trying to communicate. All right? Go. All right. Any thoughts? What do we think he might be trying to communicate? Anybody? In the back there? Money's not everything. I heard fragility. Someone over here? In the back there? Rebellion. Good. Anybody else? Uh Uh-huh, right here. Time does not necessitate worth. worth. Good. Someone over here? Thought I heard. So he did this installation. Okay, value. Value's time. Man, you guys are good. Piece of pottery, yeah. (laughs) Very good, yep. So he did this in protest of the Mao regime, which he was born into. And Mao said that to build a new world, you have to destroy the old one. And so during the Cultural Revolution, they destroyed centuries and centuries of art. And he said the devastation of that, he says, you want to know what that feels like? And so he took this million-dollar urn, destroyed. Very good. So let's try another one, a little bit harder. So let's look at this piece of beautiful art. So find yourself in the earth there. And if we zoom out once, this is our Earth and our solar system with all of the planets. We've got Pluto. Oh, Pluto. <laughs> then you have our solar system in the interstellar neighborhood. Then our interstellar neighborhood 
in the Milky Way galaxy. Our Milky Way galaxy in the local galactic group. Our local galactic group in the Virgo supercluster. Our Virgo supercluster in the local superclusters. And then finally, we have the observable universe. So turn to a neighbor and share what you think this artist was trying to communicate. <laughs> Go. All right, what are, we, what are we thinking? What is this artist trying to communicate? Small, small that we're very small. Anybody else? We're fortunate to exist, yeah. Every piece fits God's creation. Good. Everything is scalable. Everything is scalable. Mm, very good. What was that? He loves us anyway. Excellent. Insignificance. And there might be aliens. <laughs> so this morning, we're going to look. Sorry. We, we might be the aliens. Yeah, very good. Aliens are among us. So this morning, we're going to look at a psalm, Psalm 8. And in this psalm, it's a poem written by a king. And he depicts God as this grand, brilliant artist. And as we go through this poem, we're going to ask, what might this artist be trying to communicate about ourselves, the world, and God? So we have the verses on the screen, Psalm chapter 8. Now read it aloud with the neighbor, and then we'll walk through it. All right? Go for it. All right. Well done. You all got that extra hour of sleep or had a good breakfast or, or caffeinated. Good job. Let's pick this up in verse 1. So the poet says, God, brilliant Lord, yours is a household name. So everyone's heard of your name. Everyone's talking about your name. Your work is brilliant. Then he names a piece of art that I think is pretty beautiful. A nursing infant's gurgle choruses about you. Toddlers shout the songs. So the sounds of infants and toddlers are so beautiful that they drown out enemy talk and silence their babble. So this poet is saying, God, your artistry is so brilliant. Everyone's heard of it like a piece of art, like a baby. So think of your favorite baby. If you need some help, here are some babies that we've dedicated at our church recently. They're all pretty cute. Pick one. Some of you find maybe aren't human baby people. Here's a baby elephant. <laughs> so when you think of your favorite baby, so think, picture that baby. Think of the emotion that you feel when you see a baby. I'm going to have you say it out loud on the count of three. What's the emotion when you see a delicious, fat, juicy baby? What's, what's the emotion? All right. On the count of three. One, two, three. Okay. Now, when you see a baby, what's the sound that you make? Right? Yeah, some of you are like, oh. Some of us are like, oh, that baby is so. So on the count of three, I want you to make that sound. Ready? One, two, three. And what if, what if when God thinks of you, he has that emotion and makes that sound? Is it possible? 
You know, Jesus in the Beatitudes says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I used to think that meant, oh, I need to do more. I need to be more moral. I need to try harder. I need to be more perfect. But I actually think it's probably the opposite of that. That when a baby is born in their purity of heart, they haven't learned to pretend. They haven't learned to strive. They haven't learned to earn. They haven't learned to act. And in their pure being, they are simply loved. And in their receiving of that love, perhaps they see God. What if that's possible? So let's try this. Think of a time in your life recently where you didn't feel lovable. Like a recent, like a specific time. Maybe it's a bad manager, maybe it's a neighbor, Maybe it's a family member. Like, what did that person say? What did they do to make you feel unlovable? You got the moment? And what if in that moment, it had nothing to do with your lovability, but perhaps that person just didn't have love to give in that moment? What if that's true? So I'll tell you a story. Um, at the risk of perpetuating stereotypes, I like fried rice. <laughs> it's, it's a thing. So uh, one of my staff turned 40 recently, and we're like, hey, what do you want to do? He goes, I want to go to Houston. I want to visit museums, and then I want to eat some good food. So we went, we saw the Van Gogh exhibit. It was beautiful. And then for dinner, we had Vietnamese crawfish. Anybody? So if you've never had it, uh, imagine crawfish in itself delicious. Imagine Vietnamese food in itself, maybe even more delicious. Combine them and all your dreams come true. <laughs> so here's a picture of them. They ordered several pounds of crawfish. Um, I did not partake because I do not, I don't have a crawfish off switch. Like some people don't have a whiskey off switch. I don't have a crawfish off switch. So they got several pounds and then I was looking through the menu and then I saw on the menu, Vietnamese crawfish fried rice. And I thought to myself, there is a God. So I ordered that, showed up at the table. And then I took a few of their fresh crawfish, peeled it on. I took a spoon and scooped like the garlic Vietnamese sauce and just poured it onto my rice. I've thought about that dish every single day of the last two months. Like I wake up and I think about this dish. So when I was in third grade, um, I also liked fried rice. One night we were having for dinner, and we had leftovers. And so my mother goes, hey, Gideon, would you like fried rice for lunch? I was like, yes, that'd be amazing. So she put it in a thermos so it would still be hot. Woke up the next morning. I'm like, ah, oh, lunch is going to be awesome. Drove to school. We, my sister and I went to a small Christian school. We were the only Asian kids in the entire school. First period came, second period came, and then the lunch bell rang. So our school is so small, we didn't have a lunchroom. We just ran to the backpacks and then ran back to our desk. So the lunch bell went off, ran in my backpack, unzipped it, took out the thermos, ran back to my desk, so excited. I opened the first lid, and then I got to the second lid where the steam lets out. And I remember the sound, and as the aroma of heaven hit my nose, a kid beside me goes, ew, what's that smell? 
I go, fried rice. He goes, fried rice? And then the whole class starts chanting, fried rice, fried rice. I can't remember a day, even till now, of going from such joy to devastation just like that. I remember eating my fried rice by myself, assaulted by my tears. And on that day as a 10-year-old, I went home thinking this. I thought, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong with my culture. Something's wrong with my food. That's what I thought. 35 years later as an adult, I look back and I go, oh, there was nothing wrong with me. There was nothing wrong with my food, nothing wrong with my culture. In that moment, that kid just didn't have love to give. Does that make sense? And this is what this poem is saying, that the sound of being loved, like a baby or an infant, the sound of being loved can drown out the unloving voices in our lives. And so, Ecclesia, this morning, what are those unloving voices? Where are they coming from? Maybe it's an old friend. Maybe it's a frenemy. Maybe it's our mom's voice and our dad's voice somehow turned into our own voice. And in those moments, can we remember like a baby, the sound of being loved can drown out the unloving voices in our life. So as a spiritual practice, let's try this. Think of something you're not good at, okay? So think of something you're like, ah, if I could just do that better. Or maybe think of a mistake. Every time you make that mistake, you get flooded with shame. You're like, oh, if I could just be better. Okay. Everyone got something specific you're not good at? What are babies not good at? Everything. <laughs> babies are not good at everything. And in those moments, remember that we're not loved for what we're good at or not good at. We're simply loved because we're lovable. Let's pick this up in verse... Three. It says, I look up at the macro skies, dark and enormous, your handmade sky jewelry, the moon and stars mounted in their settings. Like, imagine God, like this artist, placing everything. It's like, oh, it's going to be amazing. There's going to be this star, it's going to explode. And then, billions and billions and billions of years later, it's going to light up the sky like sky jewelry, and then the moon and the planet, and then the mountains and the oceans is going to be perfect. And then the poet goes, it's so big, so beautiful. And then I look at my micro self and wonder, why do you bother with us? Why take a second look our way? The poet is saying this world is so big, so magnificent, so beautiful. Is it possible that we're a part of that beauty too? Is it really possible? So let's try this. Think of the most beautiful place you've ever been on Earth. Okay? On the count of three, I want you to say it out loud. So the most beautiful place you've ever visited on Earth. One, two, three. Okay. So imagine it and take a picture of it, right? Okay? Got the picture? Now we're going to print it and frame it. It's going to be big. Okay? So imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been in a photograph and it's, it's gonna be frame big. Now let's walk into your house, and let's find like a nice big wall we can hand this photograph on. 
You've got a good wall. Maybe your dining room, bedroom. Okay. Now let's, let's hang this photograph. Now let's step back a little bit so we can just take it all in. So imagine the most beautiful place you've ever been in a photograph in your house. Now let's take a deep breath just to like soak it in. Now put yourself in the picture. Put your face in it. Better or worse? And this poet is saying, God, really, the beauty and the grandeur of this earth, we get to be a part of that, seriously? So in the scriptures, before science, the ancients would tell stories and poems, and they would try to communicate what God felt about his creation, right? So that Genesis 1, it's just that. It's a poem. There's a cadence to it. And the one emotion that's communicated over and over and over again says, and then the first day, and God said it was good, over and over again. So I want us to feel that together, okay? So we're going to walk through Genesis 1. I'm going to give you guys a choice, and then you guys yell out the choice. And then collectively, we're going to yell, like, from the gut. So good. Like, imagine the most delicious thing you've ever tasted. The cutest baby just go, oh, so good, okay? From the gut. So let's practice the so good once. Ready? One, two, three. So good. Excellent. Okay, so let's try this. So in Genesis 1, God says, let there be light. So you get to choose sunrise or sunset. Yell it out. Ready? So good. Favorite body of water. Yell it out. Ready? So good. Favorite fruit. Ready? So good. Favorite constellation of stars. Ready? So good. Favorite bird. Ready? So good. Favorite four-legged animal. Ready? So good. Favorite sea animal. Ready? So good. Now picture the moment you were born, the youngest picture you have of yourself. You got it? On the count of three. So very good. Now look around the room. Make eye contact with someone. On the count of three, ready? So very good. And is it possible, Ecclesia? Is it possible that the beauty of this earth, Yosemite, the Grand Canyon, the Rocky Mountains, the Tetons, Big Ben, the beauty of that is as beautiful as the beauty in this room? Is it possible? So let's try this. So in nature, what makes things beautiful? So I've been in Austin 20 years, and I think this spring, early summer is the most beautiful I've seen it. And I've driven around Houston, it feels the same, it's lush. And Austin Barton Creek is flowing, wildflowers everywhere, trees and flowers, right? So why do you think this spring, early summer is the most beautiful in Austin and Houston? Rain, thunderstorms even. So could you say that in nature, thunderstorms can bring healing and beauty? Is that true? And is it possible that our lives, perhaps like nature, is it possible that maybe even our thunderstorms can bring healing and beauty? A few Sundays ago, it was after our liturgy, and I was just at home, relaxing. 
I got a phone call from a good friend of mine, and he was having a bad day. Like, you have, like, bad days, and then you have bad days. And something happened where the bottom of his life just fell open. It was devastated. And so I went over to his house. A couple other friends went over, and we kind of just sat with him, spent the afternoon crying with him. And then we realized he hadn't eaten in two days. So we dragged him out of the house, and then we got him some food that would hug him. So you got him like chicken fried steak and gravy and cheese grits and peach cobbler and kind of wanted the food to hug him a little bit. And we were leaving this restaurant called Hoover's and it has like floor to ceiling glass panels across. And as we were leaving the door, uh, a storm rolled in. It was actually a tornado that hit Austin that day. And so as we were leaving, the skies went dark, the trees went sideways and then the heavens opened and just started pounding, just it was raining so hard we couldn't get to the car, so we just stood outside the restaurant for a little bit. And there were benches outside and an awning. My friend sat down and he just started weeping, just crumbled. Our other friend went over and put his arm around him. I stood there next to him on the bench and the other friend sat there. And the four of us just stood out at the storm, ourselves weeping and crying. And in that moment, there was this profound sense. This is what it felt like. It felt like the heavens were weeping with us and that we weren't alone and that perhaps even this thunderstorm maybe one day could bring healing and beauty. And so maybe this week is spiritual practice for us. You know, what, what's our thunderstorm right now? We all have a version of it. Some of us, it's health stuff. Some of us, it's relational. Maybe it's financial. And in your thunderstorm, remember that you're not alone, that every single person in this room has a version of that thunderstorm. And then maybe when you're ready, sometimes you're not ready yet, that's okay, but when you're ready, ask, how might this thunderstorm, what might be healed? What, what beauty might be brought forth? You know, I always tell parents, a great, a great gift you can give to your children is tell them all the thunderstorms you've been through. Tell them that you survived it. And along the way, there's probably some stories of healing and beauty as well. All right, let's finish this up in verse 5. So the poet says this, Yet we've so narrowly missed being gods. We're sons and daughters of God. We have divine DNA. Bright with Eden's dawn light, you put us in charge of your handcrafted artisan world. You repeated to us your Genesis charge. It's good, it's good. Participate in its goodness. You made us care for sheep and cattle, even animals out in the wild, birds flying, fish swimming, whales singing in the ocean deep. Oh, hmm. God, brilliant, Lord, your name echoes around the world. And this poet is saying, God, your artistry is so beautiful. It's like you started this collaborative art project that's still ongoing, and you're inviting us to participate in bringing forth its goodness. So this psalm is traditionally used during Trinity Sunday. Isn't that interesting, right? 
Does it make you wonder why? Shall we wonder why together? Yeah. So I'm going to get nerdy for a second, so just hang on real quick, okay? So human beings are limited, correct? Right? So there's more we don't know than we know. Is that true? So the way we talk about things we don't know, we have to talk about something we know, and we point it at the thing we don't know. It's called a metaphor, right? So when things are bigger than us, like love, you can't say love is, you have to say love is like. When we talk about God, you can't say God is, you have to say God is like. Are you following? So for centuries, the church is like, oh, what is God like? Oh, it's so much bigger than us. It's hard to grasp. It seems like God has this personal quality to God. So it feels like God's a person, but person just doesn't capture it. It feels like God's like three persons in one, right? That was the best we could do. And we called it the? Trinity. And I think this metaphor is brilliant because it's saying that God in God's self, there's a space between in God's being, God loves and cares and depends on each other in God's essence. Does that make sense? And then I think this metaphor is brilliant because it offers us a way to participate in the world. This is how we participate in the world. Like the Trinity, we love, care, and depend on each other. So maybe it's like this. Um, I have two dogs. Um, we got this dog many years ago. We went on a bike ride and came home with a dog. We've all been there before. <laughs> and so this little dog, her name's Mochi, uh, was super cute, so small. She could fit in the palm of her hand initially. But she quickly turned into a demon toddler dog, like very quickly. <laughs> And we were like, oh, no, we can't have a toddler dog. We already have a toddler human. We barely have enough energy for a toddler human. We don't have energy for a toddler dog. So our strategy was we were going to find an older, calm dog to take care of the demon toddler dog. So my wife started going to the rescue to try to find an appropriate dog. Uh, one day she calls me, and she's like, hey, I think I found the perfect dog. She's like, can you come right now? And I was like, I can't really come today. Got a couple meetings. Can I go tomorrow? She's like, fine. So we go, and I walk up, and I see this medium-sized brown dog in a distance. And as I walk closer, she's got these sad eyes, a little cute underbite, and she just had the sweetest, calmest energy. And we spent some time with her, and my wife and I were like, this is the one. We should definitely adopt her. So as we were saying that, a woman walks out of the building with paperwork, puts a leash on her, and walks off. She adopts her. And we're like, oh, are you adopting her? She's like, yeah. I was like, okay, this is kind of weird, but here's my name and number. If for some reason, anything changes, just call me. And so we go home, we forget about it. Two months pass, and I get a phone call. And the woman on the other line goes, I don't know if you remember, but I'm the woman who adopted Trixie. I was like, I do remember. She says, I got a new job. I don't have time to take care of her. Would you still like her? We're like, yes. Went over to her house brought her home, and she's been with us for 10 years. And she's a perfect dog. So it worked. So she came home, and then the little one was like, let's do crazy things. Let's bite things. Let's tackle things. And then she would just so gently wrestle her to the ground, gently bite her neck, and just go, shh. 
It worked. Calmed her down. Every day for the last 10 years, we'd come home. She recognizes the sound of our cars or our bikes. She'd wait for us at the gate. And when we get to the gate, every day she sings. She goes, every day. And maybe the most helpful thing she does is possibly the grossest thing she does. So if you've ever owned a white dog, you need to clean the dog's eyes and ears. And Trixie cleans her eyes and ears for us. She's like, oh, so stinky, so delicious, right? We're like, oh, stop, thank you, please go. Want to see a video? Check it out. Oh, stop it. Oh, so helpful. Oh, so disgusting. Thank you. Oh, no. Yes, please. And so you could say maybe in our family, maybe it's like this. You have our family, then you have Mochi, and you have Trixie. You can show the slide. And then maybe for you, in your family, you have your mom, Maybe you have your sister, and then you have you. What this psalm is saying is we have us, we have this earth, and we have the animals. We love, care, and depend on each other. And Ecclesia, maybe your place in this world is you have Ecclesia, you have your neighbors, and then we have this city. And so Ecclesia, may we, like the Trinity, love, care, and depend on each other in the world around us. May we, like an infant, pure in heart, unlearn the ways we strive, act, perform, impress in order to be loved, knowing that as we are, for all the things we can't do, are utterly and completely loved. And in receiving that love, may we see God. May the sound of being loved drown out the unloving voices in our lives that tell us we're not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, talented enough, skinny enough, perfect enough. And may we remember the beauty of nature, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the valleys, and the glowing fields healed through storms, bringing forth new life, mirroring our beauty. And may we each day continue to collaborate and to bring forth God's goodness and divinity that's all around us. And so I'll close with this poem as a prayer for us this morning. It's written by Mary Oliver. She says, I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep half asleep in the sun? Does the opossum pray as it crosses the street? The sunflowers, the black, old black oak growing older every year. I know I can walk through the world along the shore under the trees with my mind filled with things of little importance in a full self-attendance, a condition I can't really call being alive. Is a prayer a gift or a petition, or does it matter? The sunflowers blaze. Maybe that's their way. Maybe the cats are sound asleep. Maybe not. While I was thinking this, I happened to be standing just outside my door with my notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning. Then a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why, and yet, why not? I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't. That's your business. But I thought of the wren's singing. What could this be if it isn't a prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. 
And we pray this in the beauty of God, the creativity of Christ, and the collaboration of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.